Amen. Please grab a seat. Thank you, those of us who can make it in person. It's great to see you all. And those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for joining. We are in the book of Ruth. We are in week three. I'm very excited. Before we jump into this, I want to remind you of two things. One, I hope that all of you have one of these Ruth journals, even those of you at home, I hope you have one of these. If you don't, you can go on Amazon um, or there's other sellers um, that, that sell these too. But Amazon, you can buy these for, I believe it's $5.99 or uh, just holler at us and we'll order you, we're happy to order you one. Um, the reason why we got you these is because our vision and our goal for this sermon series, really every Every sermon series, but it's a bit unique with kids in service and maybe kids at home. We want each and every one of you to not just read the book of Ruth, but study the book of Ruth. And so these journals are a great way to help with that. You can underline, you can circle. There's even blank page here where you can write some things um, as you listen in and study this book um, with us on Sunday mornings. And then throughout the week, we want you to engage with the book of Ruth. Hopefully not replacing your devotional life that you already have, but maybe um, adding to it. And so we have these inserts here. You can find these online um, on our church online page, and you've got them here in person. Hopefully um, there's a personal discipleship side. So those of you, um, even kids, uh, take these home, and uh, there's like three different sessions you can do, and they should maybe take five or 10, 15 minutes, um, and then and there's a family discipleship, maybe at the dinner table, nighttime, whatever time is best for you to walk through that. Our goal is to study the book of Ruth deeply, and that's what we are going to do today. Kids, those of you who are here, make sure that you see, I think it's going to be Miss Becca um, after, and show her the notes that you take, took or the packets that you have, and she's got something special for you today. So guys, Ruth chapter 2, I'm excited about this. I want to start with a very short story, and um, I have a long version. I can't tell the long version, so i got to stick with the short version of it. So it goes back to when I was in seventh grade. I forget how old I was. I think it was like 12 or 13. And like any 12 or 13 seventh grader, um, I had a big crush on a girl. Um, her name was Melissa Bennett. There was a significant issue, though. I was in seventh grade. She was a senior in high school. Um, and so obviously that, you know, for good reasons, um, the attraction was one-sided. The crush was one-sided. But as fate might have it, um, Melissa Bennett's sister married one of my cousins. Her best friend then went and married one of my other cousins. And so what that meant is that over time, about maybe once a year, once every two years, her and I would cross paths. Now, whether she remembers me or not is debatable, um, but what's not is I remembered her because uh, I, I saw this Melissa Bennett. I had this incredible crush on her. She's beautiful. She's kind. She's sweet. I mean, just everything that um, a godly man would want in a godly woman. Um, but again, 
a seventh grader, senior in high school. And the older I got, the older she also got too. And so there was this, uh, this, this, this barrier, you might call it. Um, she um, was older, I was younger, she was mature, I was getting there. And um, this is where things take a turn. In 2008, my mom went to a 4th of July party. I was out of town. I wasn't there. And I get an email the next day. And in the email, she says, you're not going to believe who I saw at this 4th of July party. It's your dream girl. It's Melissa Bennett. You need to ask her out on a date. What I failed to acknowledge to you guys is when I graduated from high school, I thought like, hey, I'm older. I'm mature. And so I talked to her sister and best friend and said, hey, set me up on a date. And so they went and they said, Melissa, we want to set you up. And she said, no. And so my mom emails me and I say, it's not going to work. So fast forward about a month later, August 7th, 2008. Melissa is with her mom and she's with her nieces. And they were uh, dropping the nieces off at a camp in Maple Valley. That's where I lived. And they are dropping them off, but the nieces refuse to get out. They're crying, and so they wait there for I don't know how long. Every good story has a stretch of the truth, so a very long time. And I am sitting in a Starbucks. I like to work from Starbucks. It's kind of a thing. Um, And so I'm working from Starbucks, and finally... At this camp in the parking lot, Melissa and her mom give up. We're not going to send these kids in here crying to this camp. Let's go to Starbucks instead. And so they drove and drive to this Maple Valley Starbucks. I am working in this Starbucks, and it's time for me to leave. Before I leave, um, I text my boss and say, hey, I'm, I'm at Starbucks. I'm just about ready to leave. Do you want me to get you something to drink? And, and so uh, I don't hear anything from my boss. I wait five or good 10 minutes. And finally, I realize, okay, she's not going to get back to me. Um, and so I get in my car. I leave. I'm out on the road. And all of a sudden, I get a text message from my boss. Hey, would you, if you, if you haven't left yet, would you get me a drink? If you've already left, don't even bother. And so I'm driving, and I'm like, you know want to be the employee of the month maybe let's turn back and so I said okay I'm just gonna turn back into Starbucks and the line the Starbucks the the drive-through line is too long so I go inside there's a long line there and I stand in line and all of a sudden I get this feeling I don't know if you've ever had this before you get this feeling where you feel like there's someone behind you you just feel it granted I'm in a line that's normal to maybe get that feeling but I just it's this way and I look kind of look over my shoulder and lo and behold there's this girl named Melissa Bennett and I look forward and I start freaking out like what do I do what do I do what do I do and I decided to do I, I don't do this often nor would I recommend it every time. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do exactly what my brother would do. I'm not going to say a word. So I didn't say a word. And I go and order my drink. And I turn the other direction so Melissa cannot see my face. And I hear these words, maybe of an angel. It was not. It was just Melissa. And she said, Zach Dunkley, is that you? And I turned around and I said, is it Melissa? 
And the rest is kind of history. Now, if you would watch, if that was in a movie, we'd call it serendipity, we'd call it fate, we'd call it l- luck. I look back, and without a doubt in my mind, I go, that is what you call God's providence. The book of Ruth, there's a few huge themes. This is the front and center theme of the book of Ruth. God's providence. And that's our text truth. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. This is what God's providence is. God's providence means that God is actively working in our everyday lives. He's actively working in your life, and he is actively working in my life. He's actively working in our lives to fulfill his purposes for our good and for his glory. Now, let's look at this passage, and and we're going to do a couple things. One, we're going to see front and center where we see God's providence Unpack in this first part of this chapter. And then we're, we're going to look at the characters of Ruth and the characters of Boaz and see how, how they walk in faithfulness towards and in and through God's providence. So let's look together. Ruth chapter 2. Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we just got to pause here for a moment. Verse 1 is the narrator stepping in, and the narrator is giving us details that the characters in the story don't know about. Now remember what has happened in chapter 1. Naomi has a husband named Elimelech, and there's a, um, a, a family in Bethlehem, and so they take their two sons and they go to Moab against what God would have desired for them. Elimelech dies. The, um, the, two, hut, the two brothers get married to Moabite um, wives. The brothers then die. Naomi hears that the Lord, that's a, important, that the Lord had provided for the people of Bethlehem in their fields. And so Naomi packs up and she goes back home after a decade. And two of her her daughter-in-laws follow her. She stops them and says, no, 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 no. You don't want to come with me. You'll be a foreigner with me. I can't find you a husband where I'm at. You stay. And so Orpah, one of the daughters-in-laws, goes back and stays in Moab. But Ruth says, no, 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 no. And what happens is Ruth literally has a conversion. She says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she turns her life and gives her life to the Lord. Now they're back in Bethlehem. They are poor, then poor. And the opening verse is the narrator saying, hey, Naomi doesn't know this. Ruth does not know this. So shh, but I want you to know this, reader. There's this guy named Boaz. And he's a relative of Elimelech. Verse 2, and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, 
let me go to the field and glean. Now, gleaning is, you might say, is modern day going to the food bank of sorts. But what would happen in that day, this was in God's law. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. God had made, had explicit instructions. He said, um, those of you, in, which was basically everyone, those of you who had farms, when you go and harvest the food, so picking apples, picking grapes, um, taking the grain, when you do it, don't pick every single apple. Don't pick every single grape. Don't take every sheath of 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 grain that there is leave some behind because there's some really poor people in your town and there's some really poor foreigners in your area that don't have a farm don't have a field and you are to leave different parts of your field ungleaned so that people like Ruth or poor people can come behind and grab a spare apple or some grain And so she goes, I'm going to the food bank. I'm going to glean. And it was also very hard work. And so it said, um, she is, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose whose sight I shall find favor. In other words, I'm going to go find a field. I don't know where to start. I'm probably just going to go to the nearest field. and, And whoever has favor on me, I will... That's where I'm going to glean. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, I underlined it. I'm going to circle. Circle this word happened. Um, we're just reading this in English, but in the Hebrew, literally, literally the idea that the Hebrew readers would have picked up on is this word literally means, as chance would have it, she showed up at Boaz's field, as fate would have it, as luck would have it. Now we know there's not so much luck as there is God's providence. And so the Hebrew readers would have read this and go, oh, that, I see what's going on there. That's interesting. That's neat. That's cute. That's God's working here. By God's providence, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, let's just talk for a second. I want to talk about um, God's providence. I'm going to put the text truth up here. God's providence means that God is actively working in our everyday lives. So if you read your Bible, here's what you'll find. That God works in our lives really primarily in two different ways. So when you read the book of Genesis and especially Exodus... And numbers, what you'll see is not so much God's hand of providence, but God's hand of miraculous work that he does. This is, this is one of the ways that God works. And we see this. What? God sends an angel to speak to Abram, who will become Abraham. Um, God... Uh, what does he do in Exodus over and over again? He, he, he shows up in a burning bush. Okay, that's... A miraculous hand or you have these plagues that come into Egypt and they don't touch the Israelites but they touch all the Egyptians 
And then you have the parting of the Red Sea. Or then you fast forward into the New Testament and you have Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus saying to someone who is um, a, a paralytic, saying, get up and walk or healing the sight of the blind. And so what you see over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament, and I believe that we have every bit of confidence to say that God still works miraculous works today. But one of the ways that God works is he works through his hand of miracles. He does what no one else can explain. But if you read your Bibles, what you will find is that the way that God works even more often is his hand of providence. Like this story here. Where an angel doesn't speak, a burning bush does not occur, But instead, you see God putting a particular person in your life at a very particular time. Or having a friend send you a text message that says, Hey, if you've already left Starbucks, don't go back. But if you're still there, why don't you get a drink from me? And here's the thing about God's providence. Here's here's the really hard thing. When a burning bush shows up in your life or when an angel speaks in your life, you know instantly, okay, God is working. I can see that. I can hear that. God is working in my life. His hand is actively working in my life. But when God works providentially in our lives, we often never, ever, ever notice it until like a year later or five years later. Or sometimes we never, never even realize it. Until we look back and go, oh, that probably wasn't a coincidence that I met that person at that time, at that place. So just stop and pause for a moment. How has God worked providentially in your life? How might he be working providentially in your life today? He is the God of all circumstances. He works through it all. Now here's the thing. Um... When we talk about God's providence, we need to understand that there's also a realm of what you might call human faithfulness. That God does not work through robots. He works through people he's called to live faithfully through him and for him. And so one of the debates there is, is, well, how much of God's providence is working through someone who is obedient or disobedient? How much of my faithfulness or my obedience determines God's providential work in my life. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? How much of it is God? For Melissa and I, in our story that I just told, how much of that was God's providence and maybe some faithfulness? The kind thing to do is turn around and go get that Starbucks drink. And we like to splice it and go, well, it's probably 50-50, right? It's half God, it's half us. 
Or maybe we're like, well, God's big. We're not as big. So maybe it's 80-20 or maybe 20-80, something like that. Um, Here's the reality. When you look at scripture, here's what you see. It's 100-100. It is God working in our lives, through our lives. But then it's also this, this call for us to walk faithfully before him. And there's this quote I want to give to you. It's from a commentary I read. It says, in Ruth, God's mode of action, it's quiet and continuous. He is working in and through the seemingly mundane day-to-day agency of people who lived according to his will to achieve his purposes. Human agency, I like the phrase faithfulness, human faithfulness, human faithfulness or human agency is prominent in the book of Ruth. That is to say, what you see in the book of Ruth is God's providence at work, but at the same time, you have human agency, human faithfulness at work too. And so here's what we'll do, and we'll run through this pretty quickly here and just make short notes, and then you get to study this more deeply this week, is that when you read this, I found three things that Ruth does faithfully and God works in through with Ruth's faithfulness to bring about his providential purposes. But then I also see three things in Boaz's life that he does faithfully that God works in through by with providentially. Because there's a sense in which we got to go, okay, God's going to do what he's going to do, right? But there's also a sense in which we got to go, but what, but what has God called me to be faithful to? And I think that we can learn from Ruth and Boaz. There's some good stuff here. So side note, Ruth, I think hers are real subtle. You can almost miss them. Boaz's are, are maybe a bit more obvious. I think it's also the nature of their characters. Ruth is a pretty quiet gal. Boaz is this depicted as this strong pillar of a man. So let's take these. Again, we'll move quickly because I want you to study them this week. The first one I see is in Ruth. Um, She is faithful in taking initiative. I think we can learn from this. This is a woman that does not sit back and go, man, my husband died. My father-in-law died. I've got nothing. I'm just going to sit and do nothing. God... You know what? If you want to work, you work. But I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to wait for you. God, you'll open the door. You'll open the window. I'm just going to wait for it. That is not Ruth. Ruth takes initiative. Where do I get this? Look back at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she set out. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She just got up and did something. Did the thing that she thought would honor God most. There was a book written by Kevin DeYoung. I didn't read it, but I love the title. The title is just 
Just do something. And it's kind of written towards millennials and such where they're just kind of like, well, I don't want to get in the way of God, so I'll just kind of sit back. How do I know God's will? I'll just sit back. And, and really the premise of his book is, you know what? Stop waiting to hear from a voice of God and stop waiting to see a door open and maybe just start knocking on some doors. Maybe just do something. Okay, you don't know if you should be a foster parent. Maybe you should just start by serving foster parents. Okay, you don't know if you should become a missionary. Why don't you just go on a short-term mission trip? You don't know if you should take that job. Well, why don't you just get an internship? Why don't you just take a step? She takes initiative. Take initiative, guys. You might not know where God is calling to you to down the road, but here's what I bet you do know. You probably know the next step you should take. And this is Ruth. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but here's what she knows. I need to put food on the table for my, grand, for my, for my mother-in-law. I'm just going to get out and do something. She takes initiative. Let's look at Boaz next. Boaz, he is a faithful man of prayer. I love this. This book is filled with prayers. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So he's in Bethlehem. That's the city. He comes to the rural areas of the town where his field is at. And he said to the reapers, this is his workers. (laughs) These are the people he works with. I wonder if you speak to um, the people you work with like this. What does he say? The Lord be with you. This is literally a prayer of blessing. He comes to his workers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. They're just praying for one another. They're just blessing one another. And then look at verse 12. I'm just going to jump up there, but here it is. You, you, You see him pray another prayer. And this is to Ruth. And what does he say to Ruth? The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's praying. This man is praying for people. This is... When you look through scripture, probably the way in which God providentially works in our lives more than anything else is through our prayer lives. You want to see God work in your life and through your life? Get on your knees and start praying and praying and praying. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. And the idea is that when we abide in Christ, when we abide in the words of Christ, our heart and mind are going to know the things we ought to ask for and that we should pray them. And Jesus says, I'm ready to give. I want, I want to bless. I want to give. I want to be the answer to your prayers. And I could just go on and on and share with all these different passages in Scripture where people pray and God works and God moves. Be people of prayer. And by the way, I can't help but point this out. Boaz is not so much praying for these people as much as he's praying over these people, praying blessing. And I think we need to learn that. I think that we have lost the art of praying blessing over people. And I want to give you a challenge. This week, pray a prayer of blessing over someone, over them, not just like from a distance in your heart. 
Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's me. There's nothing I love more than someone praying over me. And I'm not just saying that because it's the pastor Christian thing to say. And if you've never had someone pray blessing over you, you are missing out. And that's, that's what Boaz is doing. This is a man of prayer. And God works providentially in and through Boaz in his life. And it's maybe a result of his prayer life. Let's learn another thing from Ruth. This, this woman is, she's just steadfast. Well, look at what happens next. This is verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young men, Who is in charge of the reapers? Um, whose young woman is this? So Boaz notices um, Ruth in the field and says, who is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Verse 7, so she said, so she said, she had said to us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This woman, wow, she's steadfast. May I remind you, her husband has died. She's poor. This reminds me of Galatians 6, 9, maybe a verse we all should commit to memory. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The, the, Galatians 6 9 is a verse that describes Ruth. She's steadfast. Even when the times are hard, she just keeps going. And, and God works providentially through that. What are the things maybe in your life you're about ready to give up on? Because you're just, you're tired, you're weary. And we need to be reminded of this verse. In due season. <laughs> I, I asked a missionary um, this a couple weeks ago. I was meeting with him and I just, he's got kids that are grown. I said, give me, give me some advice. What, what do I need to hear as a parent on raising kids? And he said, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season... You will reap if you do not give up. So, so, Zach, just keep going. Parenting, it takes all 18 years and then some. And, and don't give up. Don't give up. God works providentially through that. Now, Boaz, he is faithful he is a faithful, word-saturated man. So he's faithful. He is a man of prayer. He is faithful to the word. Now, you probably are going, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that in the passage that we're reading here. <laughs> it's not like he has a Bible. Here's what we see in Boaz, why I think I can point to this and go, he's a man of the word. He knows the word. He knows what is written in the word. And he knows that what had been written in the word is that if you own a field, you do don't harvest every single apple, every single orchard, every single olive, every single bit of grain. You don't do that because he knew God's word said you need to also care for the poor and the oppressed. 
And so just look at this. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. In other words, I know God's word. I know what I'm supposed to do. I am going to be a man that sticks with it all season long. You stay in this field because I will make sure you are provided for. Verse nine, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12. And the Lord, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I just I love this. He he knows God's word so thoroughly. That he is aware of his duties to care for the poor, to care for the oppressed. How many things do we fail to do in obedience to God simply because we just don't know the word? How many of you are falling short as a father because you are not familiar with the way the Heavenly Father loves you and is an example to you? How many of you have fallen short to care for the poor, to care for the oppressed? I know that we are in a season of like tremendous conversations around racial tension. I want you and I to understand that the book of Ruth is a story about racial tension. This is a this is a woman who is a foreigner. But Boaz knows how to deal with racial tension and living that out because he knows what the word says about it. He knows that those uh, who are not a part of Israel, you don't go, hey, you, you, you're a different ethnicity, so I don't care about you. You're a different race. I don't care about you. He goes, no, no, no. I know the word. I know how to respond to this. I know that God's word says I'm supposed to care for the poor and the oppressed. And here's a woman. She is a Moabite. She is from a different culture. She has a different color skin. She is now a follower of Christ and I'm going to care for her. He knows the word. Men, women, fathers, mothers, kids. Do you know the word? Do you know it? I can't help but share this story. I was listening to a podcast and it was interviewing Billy Graham's daughter. Now, she's well into her 60s, maybe early 70s. And the interviewer said, how did you continue to walk faith? What, what was it about your parents that impacted you in your walk with the Lord? And here's a story she told. She said, I will never forget the day my mom and my dad gave me my first Bible. And in it, they wrote, 
This is a sure guide in an unsure world. Read it, study it, love it. And I just have been chewing on that since. Friends, maybe you need to write that in the front of your Bible. Don't just read it. Study it. Love it. And God will work providentially through your saturation and living out of the word. Let's look at Ruth, her last trait that we see. And I really think that God works providentially through this. And here, side note, you know what's awesome about God? Is he works providentially even when we fail in all of these. I just need to say that. This is not the list of six things to get God to do what you want. This is a list of six things we see Ruth and Boaz walk in and God uses it to bring about his providential plan that we'll see at the end. And I think we can just learn from it. She is faithful in gratitude. She is filled with gratitude even when her world is frankly falling apart. Her husband's dead. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She just looks at her situation and just goes, I don't, I don't deserve this, but thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure we understand how powerful gratitude is in our life. And how gratitude is, gratitude I feel like is, is someone with really bad vision and they put on glasses and all of a sudden the things that were distorted, they can see clearly and go, oh, thank you for that. I, I, I actually appreciate that. I can't help but share this. Fanny Crosby wrote Blessed Assurance. I would sing it for you, but then I'd ruin it. It is an incredible hymn that you should listen to this week. She was, um, she became blind when she was six years old. She wrote 8,000 hymns. Here's what she said. She said, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. Do you see, it was the providence of God. And what does she say? I thank him for the dispensation. I'm actually thankful. I, I have gratitude that I am blind. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She gets this gratitude piece. You know what's interesting is... The greatest providences in our life are often the greatest wounds of our life. The, the greatest providence of this woman's life was she was blind. And she looked back and said, I'm so thankful because God used it to change my life and the lives of many. And when you look at Ruth's life, 
The first page is a train wreck. It is the worst of the worst situation. And yet we find Ruth full of gratitude. Now let's look at the last character trait of faithfulness. And we see it in Boaz. Let me read, and I just want you to see how, I just want you to notice how far above and beyond Boaz goes for Ruth. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. That was not written in the law. The, 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 those who gleaned needed to stay in the field. This privilege of having lunch was for the reapers. And yet she joins for lunch. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. In other words, take some of our profit, and I want you to pull it out, and I want you to leave it behind, and, and don't, don't let her see. But just leave it behind, and don't rebuke her when she picks it up. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an effet of barley. I believe that was about 40 liters. So lot. This is an incredible amount. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Wow, this is incredible. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And I love this. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, circle, underline that word kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. This word in Hebrew is hesed. Let's say it together. Hesed. One more time. This is a very important word. And what Boaz is doing is he is faithfully living out hesed. Now, what is hesed? One commentary puts it this way. Hesed are, the acts of Hesed are generous, often going beyond obligation or what is required for the benefit of someone who is not able to help him or herself. The word Hesed is often translated steadfast love. Steadfast love. This word is used three times in the book of Ruth. Every single commentator says this is one of the major themes in the book of Ruth. In fact, one of the commentaries I read is simply entitled Steadfast Love. And we'll end by just simply pointing out that the best way to understand the definition of hesed is to see how it's used in describing God. This is Exodus 34. It says, The Lord passed before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed his name, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, 
abounding in steadfast love. That's hesed right there, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. This is what hesed is. It is abounding love for someone. It is continuous love for someone. And here's what we need to see in this passage in Ruth is that Boaz is living out Hesed. And the ancient um, readers of this passage, they would have caught that. They would have saw that. They would have remembered Exodus chapter 34. And here's what they would have thought. Here's what they would have noticed. Wow, Boaz is loving the same way the Lord loves. Boaz is loving the same exact way that the Lord loves. Let me close with a quote. Perhaps from the Ruth narrative, we can conclude that God works most effectively through the agency of a faithful people like Ruth, like Boaz. He's just being faithful instead of or in spite of disobedient people. For it is through the initiative motivated by kindness or hesed of the seemingly insignificant characters in the book of Ruth that God would bring forth the most feted king of Israel, God named King David, who himself will become an ancestor of the greatest king of all, Jesus. And what I want us to see and celebrate and learn from today is that God works providentially through your every single day life. He's working through your life today to bring about his purposes for your good and his glory. And what we can learn from this passage is that often the way that God will work his providence is through our faithfulness to him and to others. And so I encourage you this week to take this message deeper. These six things we learned and maybe ask the question, what, what can I apply this week that I learned? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you work providentially in our life. We are so grateful. Would you give us eyes to see the way you have worked and that we would worship you and glorify you? And Lord, would you give us eyes to see how we can, how maybe we're not faithfully following you and we need to check those areas and that we would put our eyes on the ways that we need to walk faithfully in you and with you this week. Pray this. And everybody said... Amen. Let's worship.